word in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But as it's translated, that word blessed actually means happy. Uh, blessed are you, happy are you for those who mourn in, or for those who are poor in spirit. Blessed or happy are those who um, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so this is really Jesus' prescription for happiness. But what I want to point out here at the front end is that Jesus doesn't say that happiness is something that you pursue. Rather, happiness is the byproduct of something pursuing something else. Did you follow that? So he's saying, happy are you when you're poor in spirit. Happy are you. So it's the byproduct of being poor in spirit. And it's the byproduct of, of all these other things that Jesus has men mentions there in Matthew chapter 5. And so I, I can't make that point enough that happiness is not something you pursue it's the byproduct of pursuing something else and so what i want to take a look at is one of the statements that jesus makes about his prescription for happiness and it's the statement he makes there in matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 i'm going to ask you all to stand it's just a short little verse matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 we'll get you sitting back down and heading off to sleep here in just a minute so let's uh let's read this together jesus prescription for happiness matthew chapter 5 verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. All right, you may be seated. All right, so um, I know y'all stayed up late last night. I'll try to be quick. We'll turn the air conditioner on here in a minute and freeze y'all out. So uh, that usually happens anyway. All right, but I got three questions that I want to ask and answer this week that will kind of help us go into this subject matter. And the first of those questions is, what does he mean when he says, blessed are those or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What is he talking about there? The second question is, what is God's promise if you do? And then the last question we'll get to here in a little bit, and that's about what difference all this makes. All right, so let's look at the first question. What does this mean? What does he mean by hunger and thirst and righteousness here? Well, in the Greek, the word thirst and righteousness he's referring to here is a longing for something, but Jesus doesn't use the word for longing in the Greek. There's a word in the Greek that means longing, and he could have said that. He could have said, blessed is the one who longs for righteousness, but he didn't say that. He used the terms hunger and thirst. And so the question is, why didn't Jesus just use the word long? Why does he got to use, throw in hunger and thirst, these appetite words? Well, Jesus is making a statement about, about this by linking this longing with hunger and thirst, with food and water, two things that are essential for life. Jesus is using that righteousness, too, is essential for life. That righteousness, whatever it is, is not something optional for our lives. It's something that is essential it's, it's a hunger and thirst kind of a thing. It's, it's at the core of uh, sustenance, of, of survival. And so he's saying righteousness is not just something out there that might be nice to have. He's saying it's something that's central to your survival. It's a hunger and thirst kind of an issue. Um, in the Bible, look at, here's an example of people hungering in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 26 through 29. This is a really interesting passage of Scripture here where you have a, a city, the city of Jerusalem, I believe it is Jerusalem, yeah, is laid siege to, and uh, the army surrounding them, and they've been surrounding the city for some time now. And so uh, the king is walking through the city, and he's observing some of what's going on here after some uh, weeks or months of the siege taking place. Look at verse 26 with me, 2 Kings chapter 6. It says, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. So she's crying out to the king. Well, what is it? What's her problem? Well, he tells us, verse, she tells him, verse 27, the king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? In other words, I can't get you any food, can't get you anything to drink. Verse 28, Then he asked her, What's the matter? 
And so she answered, this woman said to me, so another woman said to this woman, give up your son so we may eat him today. Ugh. All right, it was in the Bible, all right, so I'm not just, you know, I'm not just making up random stories here. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So somebody said, hey, look, we're so hungry. We're so starved. We're at the verge of death that let's, let's practice cannibalism here, and then we'll offer over my son uh, the next day. And so, um, so verse 29, so we cooked my son and ate him. Ooh. The next day I said to her, okay, now your, turn, your son's turn. Give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. And so the lady reneged on her deal, which, you know, anyhow. But so some nasty stuff here, right? But this is hunger. This is real hunger. This is real thirst. These are people that were desperate, clinging to life. And so that's the, the kind of notion, that the, the idea that Jesus is trying to convey here, that there's a real desperate state upon you for gaining righteousness it causes you to weep about it it causes you to dream about it it becomes the consuming dominating passion of your life it's irrepressible it's un it's something you you know you have to have satisfied um and so what is it that you're wanting satisfied what is this that you're so fanatical about well he goes on to say he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what righteousness righteousness but look, so what do we mean by righteousness? What are we talking about here? Well, I'll tell you first of all what it doesn't mean, what righteousness does not mean. Righteousness is not referring to um, justification. It's not referring to becoming right in God's sight. It's not referring to how God looks at us, that no longer does he look at us as a sinner because we had appropriated the blood of Jesus on our life, but now he looks at us as righteous. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're pursuing here. Um, nor is this talking about... <clears throat> Lost my place, but that's okay. Um, so, nor is this talking about uh, some. Oh, I'm off on the wrong page. Sorry. There, that's that's what happens. So, nor is this talking about some sort of a general morality where we become generally moral or we become generally uh, respectable. That's not what God is saying for us to pursue. That we're supposed to hunger and thirst after being a good person. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying to pursue a righteousness that you cannot obtain, rather, on your own. He's referring here. That saying that this is, rather that it is a righteousness that belongs to or that comes from God. And so you're hungering and thirsting after something that God has that you want to acquire for yourself. This is not something that you can pursue simply by your own good works. Paul points this out in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, uh, he says to Timothy here, now remember, Timothy is a believer. Timothy is a preacher. He's a pastor. He's been out itinerant like Paul, traveling around, planting churches, ministering to these different churches. Paul, or Timothy is close with the Lord, and so he tells Timothy, a believer, he says, to, he says, Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue or go after righteousness. So righteousness here means uprightness with God. It means walking in a certain way, in a way that's honorable before the Lord, in a way that's respectable before the Lord. And so Paul takes his cues from Jesus saying he's talking about a desire to be right with God in your thoughts. He's talking about a desire in Timothy to be right with God in your motives. He's talking about a desire to be right with God in every nook and every cranny of your life, not just being a good, moral, respectable person, but even more than that, but being a person whom God in every way says that person is walking in a way that honors me. He's talking about a passion for greater purity. He's talking about a passion for greater holiness. He's talking about a passion to conform your lives 
to the biblical institutes of this, of this book. He's talking about a longing to be more and more like who Jesus is, to rid yourself of sin's grip in your life and to walk in a way that is holy and upright and pure. Friends, that is way beyond just being a good person. And so that's the hunger and thirsting that we're after, a hunger and thirst for holiness, a hunger and thirst to pursue a life that is honoring to God in every way. I was reading one author, and he compared this to a quest, an all-out pursuit to rid yourself of sinful actions and sinful desires. Here's what he said. He said, the quest itself eats up the lesser hungers of your life until you are yourself eaten up with this driving desire. So if I've understood the scriptures correctly here, hungering and thirsting, what it's referring to here after righteousness, does not stop when you become a Christian. It does not stop when you become a believer, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Rather, it just begins to ratchet up at that point. It's a hungering and a thirsting, a, an intensification after righteousness. The more and more you go on in your Christian life, the further you go in your relationship with the Lord, this intensifies, it should intensify all the more. And Jesus says this is part of the prescription for happiness. You pursue hunger, you hunger and thirst, you pursue after righteousness. Jesus says you will become happy in your heart, in your life. David put it like this. David was a man after God's own heart. He walked so closely with God that he said in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. He followed after wherever the Lord was leading him. He walked closely and intimately with the Lord. This was a man who knew the Lord in intimate ways. It was a consuming passion for God in his life. He wrote, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for thee. That is my soul thirsts. For the living God, my soul pants after God. That's the kind of hunger, the kind of desperation for God and for his righteousness in our life that they're talking about here. How about Paul? This guy had enormous success with the gospel, had many victories. He had gone out, he had healed people in Jesus' name. He'd done all these things that you think, hey, you know what, maybe he wants to rest on his laurels. I don't know what laurels are. Anybody know what laurels are? But maybe some sort of successes and some sort of titles and all this sort of stuff. So, but he didn't just fall back on that and say, well, it's time for me to kick up his heels. Instead, he said, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he said, I, after all of that, I want to know Christ. There was still a longing, a desperation within him, a hungering and thirst to want to know Christ and to live for him. Friends, these men's lives and many more like them were filled with spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger. They weren't satisfied with outward piety. They weren't satisfied with outward success. They wanted to know God. They wanted to be close and intimate with the Lord. They had an insatiable, inexhaustible, unrelenting appetite for the living God of the universe. You know, you know when you're not, you're not feeling real well. I've had a cold the last couple of weeks and just seems to be lingering on, lingering on. You know that feeling. And sometimes when you get to feeling rotten or you get to feeling sick, uh, and it's dinner time, what do you say? I'm not hungry, right? I'm, not, I, I'm just not interested in food right now. It just kind of takes your appetite away. Well, friends, just the same, when there's a spiritual infection inside of us, we lose that desire for uh, righteousness. We lose that desire for, the, for church. We lose that desire for prayer. We lose that desire for the righteousness of God. And so when there's sin in our life, when there's a spiritual infection inside of us, it wants, makes us want to push back from the table of the Lord and to, um, to put some distance between us and him. And that's just a symptom of the spiritual infection in our life. So to sum up everything we've discovered here so far, Jesus is speaking about intensity. He's speaking about a continual longing of the heart for a renewed 
refreshed relationship, a passion for an ever new glimpse of the Father. Now, what's Jesus' promise? He says, hey, look, blessed are you, happy will you be if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then what's the promise that comes on the backside of that? He says, for they will be filled. God promises that the emptiness within, the thirst for him, the hunger for him will be met. That's what Jesus just said, for they will be filled. That this hunger inside of you will be met. God's not just going to leave you out there with this longing in you. God's going to fill that longing inside of you. Remember David, the man who pants after God? David wrote Psalm 23 in verse uh, 5. I believe it's verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. He said, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. That's the, that's the backside of having longing after, this, after the Lord. And so God filled him to overflowing. Jesus said, he that comes to me will neither hunger nor, nor thirst. They will be filled. So what Jesus is saying is as a believer, if you come to him, if you begin to hunger and thirst after God, God says he will fill you. He will let uh, you find him. He will pour himself out upon you. Friends, get this. God waits to be wanted. That's just kind of the, how God works. He waits to be wanted. But when he is wanted, God gives of himself freely. That's the way God works. That's God's economy. God waits to be wanted, but when he's wanted, God pours himself out. Okay, well, that wraps up our treatment of this verse, which means it's time for us to ask our most important question. We ask this each week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Say, Gordon, that's really good. A little theological treatment there. Appreciate all the teaching this morning. Understand blessed means happy. Yeah, that's really great. But how does this help me? You know, I got ball games this afternoon, things like that going on in my mind. I got work starting back up next week, kids going back to school. I mean, what difference does this make to where I'm living? Well, let's talk about that. My third and final question, what difference? Um, and so I got two, two suggestions for you, two active steps that you can take um, to make this practical, to, to uh, kind of put some handles on this, okay? So the first thing is, um, if you want to pursue after righteousness, here's one of the things you can do. Number one is, to get rid of the things that are disrupting or, or diminishing your spiritual appetite. Get rid of the things that are disrupting or diminishing your spiritual appetite. Don't do things that will spoil your appetite. You know how your mom used to always tell you, right, it's getting close to dinner time, you come and want to get a cookie, want to get some chips, and she'd say, hey, don't eat that because it will ruin your appetite, it will spoil your appetite, right? And so there are things in our lives, friends, that have the same impact on our spiritual appetite. Things like TVs, maybe it's some hobby, maybe some non-Christian music, whatever it might be that is spoiling your spiritual appetite. I don't know what that is for you, but whatever it is, if you're serious about acquiring a hunger and thirst for God, whatever it is that's spoiling your appetite for Him, we need to eject that out of our life. Second thing, uh, second thing you can do uh, to help uh, increase your hunger and your thirst for God um, it, this, this kind of made me think of blind Bartimaeus, is to put yourself in the path of where Jesus is coming. Put yourself in the path of where God is working. Uh, you know the story of blind Bartimaeus in the, in the Gospels, how he couldn't heal himself, and so what did he do? Well, he heard that this healer, Jesus, was coming to his town, and so he went out into the middle of the street, and he sat down right smack dab in the middle of the street where he knew Jesus was coming through. He put himself right in the path of where he knew Jesus was coming. And so when Jesus arrived in town, there's Bartimaeus uh, right there ready to connect with uh, the source of, of his healing. 
And so he actively put himself out there in a place where he could connect with the Lord. Bartimaeus put himself in the path of healing. He couldn't heal himself, but he sure could put himself in the middle of the road, and that's exactly what he did. And I want to say that we cannot make ourselves hunger and thirst after God, but friends, you can put yourself in the path of that happening to you. And so I got two things for you of how you can put yourself in the path of where the Lord Jesus is working, of where the Lord Jesus is coming. First of those is the Word of God, spending time with the Word of God. You know, the Lord is not traveling down the road of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Sorry to have bust that bubble for you. The Lord is not traveling down the road of CNN or Bill O'Reilly's latest book. God is walking down the path, friends, of the Word of God. And we need, some of us, we spend, we're more disciplined to make sure we get to watch the five on Fox News every day than we are sitting down and spending time with God's Word. And I would say to you, yeah, there might be some good political talk in there, but at the end of the day, what's the thing that's going to feed you? What's the thing that's going to put you in the path of where God is working, of where God is moving, friends? It's putting yourself in the path of His Word. And so spending some time in God's Word each day. A second thing that I would point you to is prayer. Simply, if you want to get in the path of where God is moving, friends, you need to get on your knees. You need to get on your knees. And so I want to promise you that if you discipline yourself to get on your knees before God, God promises to increase your hunger for Him before you get up. You may not be hungry when you get down on your knees, friends. You may not be thirsty for the Lord when you get down on your knees, but by the time you get up off of your knees, the Lord will have put that desire, put that passion, put that desperation inside of you for more and more of Him, for more righteousness. Um, And then one other thing I want to point out here about getting in the path of where Jesus is working is that we need to make sure that we are putting ourselves around other people who are spiritual gluttons like this, other people who are who are pursuing hungering and thirsting after righteousness other people who are interested in who want to become uh, people that are honor god in every way um so getting around other spiritual gluttons that means don't skip church don't avoid bible studies don't stay away from small group environments where you're uh, where you'll be expanded deliberately put yourself in the path of where god is working friends it means going to the word of god it means putting your parking yourself on your knees it means getting around other people who are spiritual gluttons all right, let me sum all that up. Three ways that you can grow your hunger and your thirst, or two ways you can grow your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number one is to get rid of the stuff that might be spoiling your spiritual appetite. And number two, to place yourself in the path of God through reading his word, through getting on your knees, and by hanging around other spiritual gluttons. Now, I'm going to get political for a second. Oh, oh no. Yeah, I'm going to do it. So let's just, let's just kind of spend a little bit of time talking about this. Because I want to, you know, every Sunday it has been our, um, it has been our uh, uh, pattern, our, our, I don't call it tradition, but our pattern around here for the last year and a half or so um, to pray for our nation. And uh, we've been doing that for, for quite some time now. And I, we, we will continue to do that. We're praying for revival. We're praying for uh, the Lord Jesus to move um, in the mass number of hearts of people because the change that needs to happen in our culture, in our, in our society, uh, is not a change that can come from government. Um, government can be part of what God uses to bring about the change, but the Lord Jesus is the one who can change the hearts of people. And he's the only one that can change the mass number of hearts of people and turn this thing around from the direction that it's going. And so we've been praying for revival for, for a while. If you are familiar with 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, 
uh, it says these words. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent of their sins, repent of their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And so God gives us very clearly. He's talking to um, Solomon there in the temple, and he's saying to Solomon right before God comes, and, and he, well, actually he's coming in that moment to fill the temple. Uh, the temple had just been constructed, and he's telling Solomon, hey, look, there's going to come times in this nation's future where they're going to get off track. And the recipe for getting things back on track, it just spelled it out for us right there, Second Chronicles 7, 14. Um, how do you get that turned around? Well, that's how you get turned around. Um, the election that took place, you may not have voted for Donald Trump. You may not be a fan. You may be ecstatic and having the best time ever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. What we discovered in our series on God and government way back in last October coming into the election, as we looked at Daniel chapter 10, is that God was in charge of the election. The person that God wanted to be president, God had become president. The flip side of that is, so Donald Trump is the guy that God wanted. So some of y'all were like, yeah, hey, that's great. But the flip side of that is God also wanted Barack Obama to be the president. Because what we learn in Daniel chapter 10 is that God does not place leaders in place of, in charge of nations. Uh, I'm sorry, that, 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 that people don't place leaders in charge of nations, but rather that God places leaders in charge of nations. Um, that God's providence is at work, and that's Daniel chapter 10 through and through. Um, and so as I look back over the last eight years, and I look at the direction of our country, and it's how we have honored God or not, and, 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 and how things have gone, and the economy, and all those sorts of things, I see it heading down. Um, I, I remember a year or two ago, uh, as a church body, becoming more fearful, feeling persecuted. I see the current administration being much more friendly to local churches and much more, more friendly to, to Christians um, and, and our faith and our beliefs. Um, and so knowing, this is, not, this is not like a I believe statement, this is knowing that God appoints and puts in place our national leaders. What I see is that God has given America another chance. I see that that's, that's what the next four years represent between our economy, jobs. I mean, you see the flood of jobs that are coming back into the country, repatriation of monies, all those sorts of things. God's giving America another chance. But friends, God will use leaders to either bring his church under judgment because of sin, or God will use leaders to bless a country and, and his people. I mean, it's either flowing in or it's flowing out. God's not, he doesn't sit on neutral. And so having said that and understanding God's providence, how he works, how he calls his leaders to be put in place. And I'll just say this too. Oh, yeah, this was not an election about morality. It wasn't. The choice was, you didn't have a moral choice. Can we be clear about that? I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't what it was about. It was, it was an election about issues. It was an election about policy. And if you look at the Democratic platform, you look at the Republican platform, I mean, you got two very different uh, directions of, of, of biblical morality taking place there. Whether or not the Republicans decide to execute on their platform, that's, that's, that's in the future. But part of where our country goes is dependent on how what happens in your home, in your home, in my home. Friends, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
had become very much synonymous with the secular neighbor who never goes to church next door. Our lives, the movies that we watched, the stuff that was coming into our home didn't look a whole lot different. The language that we used, the way we carried ourselves didn't look a whole lot different than what was happening next door. And I really think that the Lord has given us another opportunity for blessings to flow in. But if we get this wrong, if we don't become a people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who are repentant about our sin, who admit that we've been wrong, admit that the way we've been living, the way we've been going, the priorities that we've had in our lives and for our families are not honoring to God. I mean, you think about the places that you go, the movies that you see, would Jesus sit there next to you on the couch? Would Jesus sit there with you while you were out so-and-so? Because if the Lord Jesus wouldn't go with you there, friend, I mean, he might have go with you there to evangelize, you know, that might be why he's there, but is that why you're there, right? And so we just have to step back from that and say, you know what? The Lord wants to bless our nation. The Lord doesn't want us to become the persecuted church here in America. But he will allow that to happen if we do not take righteousness seriously. And so in the coming year, I want to place an emphasis on what Jesus said here. Not because we want to be happy, but because we want our nation to be blessed by God. We want to see the Lord continue to file in his blessings upon our nation. Um, so we need to do this with sincerity. We need to pursue righteousness with zeal. And the results, friends, will far exceed anything that we could have ever hoped for. Are you listening? Do you hear the Lord speaking to you? He's saying, church, my people who are called by my name, if they will turn from their wicked ways. And friends, this needs to happen in our church, and it needs to happen in every church across this country. A deliberate severing, cutting off from the way we've been living, that we know is not honoring God, that Jesus wouldn't go there with us or watch that with us, and heading in a different direction. I want to close with a prayer from A.W. Tozer, Christian writer, and he writes these words. <clears throat> he says, O oh God, I have tasted your goodness. And it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty, O Lord. I'm ashamed of my lack of you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be more thirsty. Show me thy glory that I may long for you. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, from this misty low land that I have wondered so long. Let's pray. Lord, the stakes could not be more high. Your church has got to get serious about the sin in our lives. We have got to clean up our act. There has got to be a real hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And Lord, there'll be some good things that come to us personally. But Lord, it'll also be some blessings that come to our nation. It will hold your hand off from judgment. Lord, I pray for every evangelical church across this country this morning. 
that the people of God who are called by your name would get intensely serious about the kinds of stuff that are going on in our homes, that are coming into our homes, the places we go, the things we say, Lord, that we would clean up those dirty closets, that we would not toy around or play around with sin. Lord, that we would become a people who righteousness for us is something we are desperate for. It sets as a very appetite that has to be satisfied within us. May this be a year, 2017, unlike any that have happened in recent history. Lord, not just where we're praying for you to heal our land, but where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in America becomes holy and pure and righteous in all she does. Lord, if there's some stuff in each of our lives that needs to go, in these quiet moments of communion this morning, put your finger on it. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Point it out. And may we be faithful and obedient to follow your leading. We pray these things in Christ's name.